0: How long will it take? Somebody's asking how long will prejudice blind the visions of men? I come to say to you this afternoon, however difficult the moment, however frustrating the hour, it will not be long, because truth crushed the earth will rise again. How long, not long, because no lie can live forever. Yes, yes, sir. How long? Not long. How long? Yes, because you shall reap what you sow. Yes, sir. How long? How long? Not long. How long? Who forever on the scaffold? Wrong yes, forever on the throne. Yes, sir. Yes, that scaffold sways the future. Yes, sir. Behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. How long? How long? How long? Not long hear the word of the Lord. For thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, save, O Lord, your people, the remnant of Israel. See, I'm going to bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Among them the blind and the lame, those with child and those in labor, together, a great company, they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with consolations I will bring, lead them back. I will let them walk by brooks of water, in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I have become a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, He who scattered Israel will gather him, and will keep him as a shepherd, a flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob, and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain. The wine and the oil and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall become like a watered garden and they shall never languish again. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will give the priests their fill of fatness and my people shall be satisfied with my bounty says the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. It has been a long 25 or more years for Jeremiah and the people of Judah as the 7th century BC comes to a close finally. And the people, including Jeremiah, have been asking for many of those years, how long? It all began actually more than a hundred years before that when the northern nation of Israel, of this divided kingdom, falls to Sennacherib and the Assyrian Empire. Those ten Tribes of northern Israel are decimated. They're carried off to foreign lands, never to return. And the land itself, known as Samaria, is repopulated with foreigners the Assyrian army had captured elsewhere and, re- and, and brought into the land. That left only the two southern tribes to make up the small nation of Judah. And they were left with Jerusalem Jerusalem and the temple built by Solomon as the center of their life. But these weren't good times by any stretch of the imagination because Judah, just like Israel before them, had continually pursued idol worship of Baal. Their kings had always formed alliances with foreign nations that God had warned them against. And their impression and injustice toward the poor had made a mockery of God all of these years. It all came to a head when Babylon came to world dominance and began to threaten tiny Judah. And rather than turning back to Yahweh, they turned and made alliance with Egypt in hopes that Egypt would protect them from Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And in response to this alliance, the Egyptian army comes up to Palestine, meets the Babylonian army, and is utterly destroyed, having to retreat to Egypt, never to return. Judah's hope is lost. Nebuchadnezzar dominates Judah. And in at least three separate occasions, comes and carries people off into exile into Babylon. And finally, in 587 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar comes a final time, lays siege to Jerusalem, breaches the walls, torches the city, destroys the temple, leaving not one stone upon the other. And Jeremiah has witnessed and survived all of this in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Jeremiah's a rural priest from the backwater hill country village of Anathoth. He's an outsider to the religious and political elites of Jerusalem. And his God sent message falls on deaf ears. It's not a popular one. In fact, he spends much of his time in prison or in a mud pit. Jeremiah has warned over and over of divine judgment for idolatry, for pursuit of foreign alliances, and for practices of oppression. But the elites prefer their own prophets who tell them what they want to hear, who insist that God will not forsake them, that Babylon will not invade them, and that exile, even when it does begin to happen, this won't last long. It'll soon be over. And that continued rebellion and insurrection against Nebuchadnezzar is the best possible path to take in spite of Jeremiah's words of warning against doing so. And each time Judah rebels, Nebuchadnezzar comes and takes more people into exile and puts a new puppet ruler on the throne in Jerusalem. And in the middle of all of this is when Jeremiah sends the message back to Babylon, back to the exiles that we are familiar with. And he tells them, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens. Marry. Have children. Seek the welfare of the city for in their welfare you will find your welfare. This is a message of settle in because it's going to be a while. And absolutely... Nobody in Babylon wants to hear that message. Why do you mean it's going to be a while? And then, the all of these events make up the first 29 chapters of Jeremiah. And so when we get to today's text, Jerusalem is hanging on barely by a thread. Soon to be destroyed, which we can read about in chapter 39. The temple will be gone. The surrounding countryside of Judah has already been laid waste. And increasing numbers of people are captives in Babylon. The doom of God's judgment is nearly completely upon them. And then we get to chapters 30 through 33, which includes our text this morning. And these four chapters have sometimes been referred to as Jeremiah's little book, of consolation and little consolation it must have been in this, but here in the midst of judgment and exile and despair, these short chapters give voice to words of future restoration, of homecoming, of forgiveness and God's grace. And in later later on in chapter thirty-one, Jeremiah even talks about this new covenant. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It'll be a united nation again. This is a covenant that I'll make. I'll put my law within them. I'll write it on their hearts. I'll be their God, and they'll be my people. No longer shall they teach one another, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, and I'll forgive their iniquity, and I'll remember their sin no more. And this all must have sounded great. This is what people finally want to hear, and they must have been asking, how soon can we get this program up and running? But here's the thing. These people are never going to see it happen they're never going to see the nation united. And all of those other promises, few, if any, will see those. So what's Jeremiah up to? Why all these promises that people will never see? Is Jeremiah peddling false hope like the other prophets just to make people feel better? And by the way, What does any of this have to do with the second Sunday of Christmas in the year of our Lord, 2021, more than 2,500 years after these words were spoken? I confess this morning that I struggled with what to do with this text. It would have been great if Jeremiah had just promised salvation and left behind all the gloom and doom. When I read all of this, it's easy to see why prophets don't make anybody's Christmas list because they are such downers. And it would be better if we could see these promises happen right away, that way we could talk about this text and make it sound like being God's people is mostly blue skies and rainbows and sunbeams from heaven. It's always tempting to talk about God's promises that way. To leave them untethered from reality, from any kind of trouble or disturbance or hardship. But to do so in this instance particularly, is to ignore the gravity of the circumstances out of which they were written. But then it occurred to me that how this might be a Christmas text for us after all, because 600 years after Jeremiah, when a small child is born out of wedlock in Bethlehem, the situation of Jerusalem hasn't really changed all that much. All the walls have been rebuilt. There's a temple been reestablished. But instead of Babylon, now it's Rome who dominates them. Oppression and injustice are still very prevalent. The political and religious elites are still working to ensure their own grip on power. And it's interesting that the very next verse after our reading in Jeremiah this morning is the same one the Gospel of Matthew references immediately after the birth of Jesus. And it sounds like this. A voice is heard in Ramah. Lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they Are no more. In both Jeremiah and at the birth of Jesus, this promise of hope, of salvation, is bound up side by side with deep grief and loss. It sounds like the more things change, the more they stay the same. We find out that Jeremiah and Jesus live in the same world. And I want to suggest we live in that world as well. If the past years taught us anything, it is that hope is a fragile and precious possession. And grief is always not far out of sight. Another thing I think Jesus and Jeremiah are intending to convey the same message when they speak. When Jesus begins His ministry, the first words we hear from Him in the Gospel of Mark are, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. It seems that Jeremiah and Jesus answer the main question people have been asking. How long? How much longer will our current distress last? How long before God hears our cry, steps in and begins to help us? And the answer to how long is not long. This is the answer people who are tired, grief-filled and at the end of their rope want. But this answer of not long isn't a ploy of psychology or a false hope, or simply positive thinking. It's an answer that creates space for divine action. To say not long is an assurance of God's promised future, but more than that, how long? Not long is an indictment of the principalities and powers of the present. To say not long puts darkness and grief on notice and lets it be known that theirs is not the final word. To say not long in the face of despair is to open this hope-filled, God-sanctioned way forward for people of faith. It creates space and new imagination For work of the Spirit of God for those who need it most. To tell people not long lifts them out of the captivity of their own time and draws them into the not long of God's time. It's the same view of time the writer of Revelation speaks of when he's talking about the Lamb. And he says, the Lamb says, I am coming soon. And the people are asking, how long before the Lamb comes? And the Lamb responds and says, soon. Hold fast to what you have. How long? Soon. Not long. In the not long of God's time. Jeremiah says... See, I'm going to bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Jesus says the kingdom of God has come near. How long before these things happen? Not long. How long before the difficult days and frustrating hours come to an end? Not long. Neither Jeremiah nor Jesus say it's happened. Jeremiah promises God will bring them back. Jesus says the kingdom is at hand, but not in hand. They both offer new hope in the midst of an old reality, a future salvation in the midst of a present despair. For Jeremiah, Jerusalem is still fallen and the people are still in exile, but hopelessness is not the final word. Forgiveness, grace, and hope are available even in the midst of exile. How long must this brokenness last? Not long. God is at work. For Jesus, the world still walks in weary darkness. The political and religious elites still breathe out threats. Death is still tangible. But the kingdom of God is near. How long must this darkness dominate the land? Not long. God is at work. The message is the same in both. But look closer. Both Jeremiah and Jesus offer the same calls to their audience. They both offer this call to endure. Yes, exile is brutal. Reaping what you sow is frustrating. Divine judgment is difficult. But they are not the last word. Endure, the psalmist says. For God's anger lasts only a moment, but His favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Jesus says the time is fulfilled. The kingdom is near. It's around the corner. How long before it arrives? Not long. The present life requires endurance. It can be difficult. It can be heartbreaking. But God is at work. So build your spiritual house and live in it. Plant your garden of righteousness and live in sight of the not long of God. And both Jeremiah and Jesus extend, offer, issue this call to repent. Jeremiah says, God will give you a new covenant. He will give you a new heart so you can know His will. You can Turn around. You can align yourself with the ways of God. And Jesus says, it's almost here. A new kingdom, a new age, a new covenant. Written not on stone, but on human hearts. Turn around. Align your life with the trajectory of the kingdom. Be a participant in God's future. How long before it gets here? Not long. So turn around so you can see it coming and get in step with it. Walk by brooks of water on the straight path of God's redeeming grace when in sight of the not long of God. And both of them issue this call to trust. God tells Jeremiah, I'll turn their mourning to joy. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. They'll trust me enough to obey me. They'll trust me enough to follow where I lead them. They'll trust me enough so that they will build their lives around me and their lives will become like a watered garden. Jesus says, Believe the good news. And he doesn't mean hold in your head a few arcane doctrines and a few novel ideas. He means trust the good news that the kingdom of God has actually come near. Trust it enough to put the weight of your life on it. Build your life around it. Trust it enough to follow where it points even when you can't see around the bend, even when the present evidence seems to indicate otherwise. Trust it enough that in the midst of both good times and bad times, you keep your eyes on the goal of that vision that is life in Christ Jesus. Life on earth as it is in heaven. How long? Not long. The church has seen the birth of Jesus as the beginning of the fulfillment of Jeremiah's promises. But that's all it is. It's only just the beginning. The road from exile back to Mount Zion is a long and tiring one. It's the road the people of Israel walked. It's the road Jesus walked on the way to a cross outside of Jerusalem. And it's the road the church must walk as it looks forward to the salvation of her God. And how long is that road? Not long. And how long must the people of God walk that road? Not long. And you see, when people ask, When we ask how long, Jesus is God's answer. Jesus is the not long of God.